You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I am Stephanie. And we are talking about the sixth episode of season two of Orphan Black this week to hound nature and her wanderings. And we're only discussing the series up through this point. No spoilers for any future episodes in this episode of the podcast. Because we are not prescient. Yes. So we just watched this, this episode, and these are sort of our first reactions, most of which were kind of like, what just happened? <laughs> I'd say our first reaction is, I need to watch that again. Yes. And, well, first of all, the, the title of this episode, again, Fr- Francis Bacon quote, don't you love how when you Google Francis Bacon plus, like, quotation now, it just is all orphan black and nothing about actually Francis Bacon is at the top of the Google search results? I was going to say, there is stuff there, but you just have to start digging past all the orphan black stuff. No, it could be if, if I don't know if you have, if you have like, Google turned on so where it's, it suggests things based on your previous search results. That could partially be why. I actually don't remember if I do or not. Okay. I should probably look at that. So that might be why. <laughs> that would do it, yes. Yes. <laughs> but I actually would not be surprised. Like, especially these little bits of quotations that they're using for the episode titles. If you just Google that, I wouldn't be surprised if Orphan Black now overshadows where the actual quote t- quotation comes from, from Bacon. Yeah. But this one... To Hound Nature in Her Wanderings is from... Actually, you want to say this one? De Augmentis Scientiarum. Better than I could have done. It translates to Partitions of the Sciences, according to the website that I found it on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope they're not lying to us and making us look like idiots. Yes. But definitely we have wanderings in this episode, because there's a Sestra road trip, and it's <laughs> delightful. Oh, I would watch an entire series of Sister Road Trip. Yes. Yes. Spinoff. Okay, Orphan Black spinoffs now. We've got Sister Road Trip. We've got Mrs. S, International Badass. Ooh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so we just need to keep thinking of more in case Orphan Black, you know, needs to do other things, needs to branch out for some reason. They would make good web series or something, too. Yes, like extra web series things? Yes. I would watch an entire web series of Helena singing on the sister road trip. <laughs> that was the greatest thing ever. Yes, it was. Like, again, this episode, last episode was just, like, really featured Helena really prominently. Last episode was really R- Rachel and, and Helena, I feel like, got the, the big spotlights on them. Right. And again... Helena gets a huge spotlight put on her in this episode. And again, she's just completely delightful, yet creepy. It's <laughs> This character is just fantastic. I understand why they couldn't kill her. Like, have her be dead dead. Oh, absolutely. Helena's an interesting subject, because they, they pull off such a crazy thing with Helena, because they never let you forget that she is, you know, a, a murderous character. <laughs> but at the same time, she's so delightful. Yes, she's... <laughs> in her interactions and her actions, and oh, I love her so much, Stephanie. <laughs> I know you do, and I and I'm and I'm loving her more and more. Like I loved her before; she, I she was dear to me before, but now it's just really hard this season not to just fall in love with Helena, which is strange to say, <laughs> given that <laughs> she starts the series assassinating a clone. But we love Helena now. Well, because they've, they've done a really interesting thing, because they keep giving you backstory. They, they've given us reasons for Helena's actions. And they're not forgiving her for those actions, but they are explaining them, I feel, very well to make her point of view understandable. So she is, she is perpetrator of many crimes, but she's victim of at least as significant crimes, it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. But, but yeah, we just got some lovely expo- more exploration of Sarah and Helena's relationship, really playing up the the fact that they are sisters. Even though Sarah might call the other clones sisters, Helena and Sarah are sisters in a way that they're they're not to the other clones because they're twins. And by the way, if you missed that whole yin yang thing that they were trying to make about Helena and Sarah, we get that lovely above shots of the two of them in the sleeping bags in the tent where they're curled up like a yin and a yang. Yes, the in the fetal position. Again, in case you forgot that they were womb mates. <laughs> That's right, I said womb mates. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked it. 
Because Sarah and Helena start out facing each other, which I thought was so sweet, too, because it, it had that sort of, you know, childhood sleepover kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. And then Sarah maybe gets a little weirded out and turns. And so then, yeah, you've got the yin and yang, and then Helena passes gas, and we all laugh. (laughs) Again, in case you forgot they were sisters, that whole interaction was so sisterly. And Helena doing the little shadow Shadow puppets. puppets. Oh, my gosh. Uh, And then it became – it sort of had this weird turn where it sort of became a little bit of Sarah sort of treating her as – as a daughter a little bit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because especially the shadow puppet sequence right. really felt more like that's something she would do with Kira to sort of humor Kira. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, than, than a woman her own age. And again, I kind of like that they've also sort of stressed that at some points. I, I know there's been talk on the internet about how Helena in some ways actually sort of more resembles Kira than Sarah does, because of course Kira's got the lighter hair and like curly. the curly mm-hmm. light hair. And so... Again, sort of playing up a parallel between Kira and Helena, sort of childlike and innocent in some ways, even though Helena, again, is is a murderer. And we know, we know. But <laughs> again, this whole deepening the understanding of Helena. And I like that we are getting more of an idea of Helena's actual personality. Because Helena's yeah. delightful. She's got a good sense of humor. She seems to be kind of fun-loving. <laughs> Who knew? Oh, sugar. <laughs> <laughs> but I I'm actually was really shocked and delighted that we got to hear Helena singing along to so much of the song. Because I thought they were just going to, as a joke, have the, the sugar song come on the radio to, you know, make a nod to the fact that Helena loves sugar. She's, <laughs> she, you know, she goes around eating little sugar packets and things. But no, we got to hear her sing along and sing, like, the wrong lyrics and slightly <laughs> off-key, and it was just so humanizing and lovely. Oh, and, and for Sarah, too, you can tell Sarah sort of, as, as I think, alarmed as Sarah was when that started, I think Sarah was pretty much enjoying it by the end there. Mm-hmm. It was sweet. It was really unexpectedly sweet, that entire sequence. Yeah. And I liked in, in the in the feature that they played during the airing of this episode, the Inside Orphan Black feature, they showed Tatiana Maslany talking a little bit about the dynamic between Helena and Sarah. And I liked that she pointed out how it shifts. They're never, ever really quite on the same maturity level mm-hmm. in regards to Helena and Sarah. But she talks about how sometimes they're more like big sister, little sister. Sometimes it's more like mother and child. And and I liked her her observation in that. And you really see those dynamic shifts in this episode, I felt like. Right. So cute. Which is weird. I know. I know it's weird, but I love it anyway. <laughs> so Sarah leaves Helena in the car in this in this small town. and I wonder what could go wrong I, there. Yeah, because and Helena, we knew, was going to stay put just like Sarah told her to. <laughs> But no, she goes on vacation, which apparently requires drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Requires drinking and a life story that is the life story of all of of the the clones. clones. I loved that she did that. I mean, but but part of me was like, she's putting Allison in there. How does she know about Allison? Because I suspect, since we found out that Maggie Chen was spotting clones for Helena... I'm thinking Maggie Chen was maybe doing some recon on Allison at some point, too, since she mm-hmm. was already looking into Beth, hmm. since they're local and we're meeting up. So Good point. Good point. And she knew about Cosima, too. I don't think she's ever interacted with Cosima, right? How'd she know about Cosima? Oh, uh, Helena knew about Cosima? Mm-hmm. When did she mention Cosima? Didn't she say something about being a scientist in her thing? She might have. I don't remember. I, I mainly remember her talking about being a detective Right, police and, officer in Ukraine and killing many bad guys and or then whatever it was. Having like drugs and alcohol. Criminals. Oh, but maybe the drug and alcohol problem, maybe that was more related to Beth than Allison. I was thinking that was Allison. I was thinking that was Allison too, but that's That could be that's actually probably Beth. Well no, because she said something about a divorce after she was in rehab for her drug and alcohol problem. So rehab indicates Allison. Okay. So I take it back about Maggie Chen doing recon because maybe maybe Sarah filled her in. In that case. I kind of doubt it, or Felix. but it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Since, I mean, she could have just overheard the conversation that Sarah and Felix were having, even, about Allison being in rehab or something. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I loved that in order to fill in her own backstory, 
she borrowed from all of the clones. Mm-hmm. These women that she, you know, was taught to treat as sheep. What animal references did she make this episode? A goat? Yes. Okay. And she- then pigs was last week. Right. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, and she, this poor guy, Jesse, I, I, I mean, Helena's charming, I guess. <laughs> and she seemed to be to, to Jesse. To Jesse. I mean, good for him. Which kind of, know? I was going to say that kind of makes me like Jesse more. That- yeah. He seemed to be taken by the fact that she just sprained his finger and would break the next one when that guy was, was bothering her in the, in the bar. Maybe it's that she offered him a white Russian. Maybe for the pork rinds. <laughs> Oh, a woman who appreciates pork rinds. But, oh, what a, I mean, what a, what a date there. The arm wrestling. <laughs> the arm wrestling, Stephanie. The arm, the arm wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives her a nice compliment. You have pretty eyes and you have a nice hat and a very red face or a nice red face. <laughs> oh, Elena, I love you so much. <laughs> she is oddly delightful. She is. When she's not murdering people. Yeah. But yeah, the arm wrestling, and then the dancing, and then the smoochies that got kind of awkwardly intense. I know! What was that? What was that? I don't know if she's ever been kissed before. I would kind of think not. I was thinking that whole time. I wonder if this is somewhat perhaps based on the spying on Rachel and Paul last mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. I was a little concerned for Jesse for, for Jesse a second. there, yeah. Is she going to eat his face? Because I wouldn't put it past Helena to eat his face. Just sort of accidentally. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe accidentally. I don't know. Well, that's true. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But she tried to gouge out somebody else's eyes instead. After, again, doing the flying squirrel attack. The flying squirrel attack. And I was like, oh, the eye-gouging mood. Hoo-hoo. You know? (laughs) I didn't really hoo-hoo. She didn't. She she seemed pretty alarmed during the actual episode. But oh. I was laughing because I am crazy. But, <laughs> but do you think we deserved it? <laughs> <laughs> he was a jerk. He called her a skank. He, he was a jerk. He didn't deserve he, that. No. He, but, he, uh, he, he moderately deserved the finger spraining, I will oh, say. Oh, yeah. No, that he deserved. Don't be baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Helena did the right thing. If she'd broken it, she would have gone too far. But spraining his finger, totally acceptable to me. Okay. I have I have my standards, Stephanie. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. But do you think we've seen the last of Jesse? I don't know. Because that was, you know, a fairly, I mean, for, for Orphan Black, you know, a fairly prominent guest star in mm-hmm. that role. He, he's on Suits, that, that actor. Who's Patrick J. Adams. Thank you. You're welcome. I was like, Patrick's initial Adams. <laughs> J. There we go. <laughs> So, I don't know. I feel like, I mean... Jay for Jesse. I, I did read an interview with him, and he was saying that it was hard to match his schedule up with, with Orphan Black shooting mm-hmm. schedule. So maybe this is the last we've seen him. But I don't know. The the, the Perlethian guy, Mark, took his hat. Yeah. Because you'd want that back, I would think. It had his name on it. I'm joking, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But speaking of Mark. Ugh. Damn you, Mark. Mark. Gracie and Mark. Though I thought the scene between Helena and Gracie was actually quite... Lovely. It was. I was so mad when I saw Gracie, but that scene actually ended up being really interesting because Helena was so kind to Gracie after everything that had happened before with the, you know, attempt by Gracie the to smothering. kill Helena and then Helena putting the sleeper hold on Gracie. Uh, no hard feelings for Helena, apparently, because she basically offered sympathy to Gracie for having her mouth sewn shut, which had happened to Helena, which makes me mad at Tomas all over again. Mm -hmm. I assume it was Tomas who did it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fact that she says, you know, you you had your mouth stitched shut, don't worry, it heals. Like, that's a little bit of kindness that that Helena and sympathy that Helena is extending toward Gracie. And, yeah. Which seems to be more than Gracie's capable of. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mad at Gracie still. Can you tell? <laughs> but I loved Helena's reaction to her, you know, oh yeah, you tried to kill me. And then this kind of like, psh, call that an assassination attempt, amateur. <laughs> Which is what you said last week. Yeah, yeah. 
Nice try, buddy. <laughs> that was just pitiful. Okay. If you're gonna do it, do it right. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it hurt me so much to see them really, and they were right, to play the card that Sarah's not coming for you. She's oh. left you. And they were right. Sarah had left. She was trying to contact Art and get Art to help Helena, but she did leave her behind. I'm pretty mad at Sarah about that. I'm pretty mad at Sarah as well for doing that. I do feel like Sarah had her reasons, but still, it just... Especially after Helena had expressly stated to Sarah that Sarah would leave her behind. It made me so sad to see it happen. Because I thought that Sarah and Helena were genuinely bonding, Mm -hmm. and way to undo all that progress, Sarah. And instead, she goes with those... Farming Prolethians who damn them, who dangle the promise of of children in front of poor Helena, who has never really had family and love. And of course, Helena had mentioned to Sarah that she'd be a good mother because she's good with children, oh. which she kind of is. I, I know she kind like, of is. It's it's easy to laugh at that line, but she does seem to genuinely like children and to be sweet to them from what we've seen. Right. Well, I mean, Helena carries around crayons in her pockets, so mm-hmm. crayons and sugar. <laughs> yeah, I thought that that conversation between Sarah and Helena about motherhood was interesting, mm-hmm. where I really wanted, you know, Helena's just so damaged, and she's not going to come out and tell Sarah what happened, because it was traumatic. And But she was hinting around, telling Sarah what had happened when she was with the Prolethians, the farming mm-hmm. Prolethians, and she didn't, and I wanted her to, and I wanted slow-motion Sestra hug twirl between the two of them, but it's Orphan Black, so it didn't happen. Not this episode? No. I have hope that it'll happen eventually. Yeah. Maybe not exactly like that, but... No, probably not. But I just like that that concept, don't you? Yes. <laughs> I do. Thank you to to the person who wrote in and, and with provided me with that phrase. I appreciate that imagery a lot. Yes, it's nice. Was it Amber? It was Amber, I believe. So thank you, Amber. So we have Helena going with the Prolethians. Darn it. Hopefully, though, she'll get the babies and then destroy them all. That's my hope. Yes. Yeah. Destroying them all is the only acceptable outcome. As far as I'm concerned. Because, again, I'm crazy and ruthless, apparently. Apparently. On TV. TV characters. (laughs) (laughs) Not with real life. And so we have, you know, after... So Helena goes her way, and Sarah kind of goes her way. She does the research in the archives, during which she has that lovely conversation with Cosima, which kind of got me all teary. Yes. Because we were so worried before about how Sarah would respond to that news... Because, you know, would she feel sort of betrayed that Cosima didn't tell her? But she just genuinely seems really concerned, which is nice. It's nice to see that, especially, again, because it starts out and Sarah's just resistant to this whole thing. Because why wouldn't you be? But, yeah, it's so nice that it's emphasized in this episode that Sarah really values Cosima. And I think genuinely, you know, again, there is the family bond, maybe more than we've really seen between them explicitly stated anyway. Yeah, and especially it was great to see between Sarah and Cosima because they were were very adversarial at times during the first season over Delphine. And so it's it was really lovely to see Sarah say to Cosima that she can't do it without her and really express the the care and sort of the bond that they have between the two of them and really the three of them because they include Allison's, you know, we, we, we're stronger together in, in this sentiment. Right, and I'm going to come back and we're going to get Allison out of rehab. And it is nice. Mm-hmm. I think, again, too, just the fact that I don't think there's any reason that Sarah would have said that other than meaning it. Because yeah. I think there's always sort of a, a certain amount of concern about how sincere Sarah's being at times. Mm-hmm. Just because she is somebody who says what she has to in order to manage the situation. But... I feel like Sarah's not saying this for any reason other than meaning it. I mean, I don't think yeah. there's any reason to say it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think she, I do think she genuinely, genuinely means it. And I thought it was a very lovely, lovely scene between those two characters. Yes. The same actress, those two characters. <laughs> it's so weird. Okay. <laughs> it really kind of is. <laughs> but we kind of, we ha- had a sense from the last episode and it was, it was confirmed in this episode that 
Maggie Chen had been tracking Ethan Duncan, and Sarah confirms this when she shows up at the archives. Yes. And I think this is sort of interesting, too, just because, I mean, the fact that Maggie Chen was doing that when Maggie Chen was still alive, obviously. So I'm kind of wondering if Beth knew about all this. Because it feels like we're working back to where the series began, which, of course, is with Beth's suicide. So I feel like the storyline is circling back around to that. And I'm wondering if the fact that Maggie Chen had traced Ethan Duncan to the archives and possibly then back to his hiding place, I wonder if that's what got Maggie killed by Beth. Thoughts? It's quite possible. I really do hope that we're circling back around to the Maggie Chen mystery as to why Beth shot her, because that's, I still have so many questions about Beth and in regards to what she was finding out about the clone project on her own, why she shot Maggie Chen, why she committed suicide. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Melanie Killingsworth, who blogs over at a couple places, but she sometimes talks about Orphan Black over at tvkeela.com. And we were talking about getting information about things that had happened previously on Orphan Black and how they probably won't ever use flashbacks because it just doesn't fit the style of the show. The whole idea of the show from the beginning has been, you know, Sarah's plopped into this person's life and has no idea what she's getting herself into. And flashbacks, to insert flashbacks, they'd be too explainy, for lack of a better word. They would ruin sort of the the big mystery that's fueling the show. And so... They've, they've given us some flash, kind of quote unquote flashback stuff through videos, seeing people watch videos like of Beth and of Jennifer and of Rachel with her parents. But again, it's all solid evidence kind of things. It's not the rather ephemeral idea of a flashback. Right. And so now, you know, we're, I feel like in last episode, like when we got to see Helena kind of go through her, her assassin ritual, it was all things that had been hinted at before, but we hadn't seen. So we got to kind of, you know, see perhaps what her process of, of tracking Katya was like without having a flashback to here's what Helena was like when she was an assassin. So yeah, I hope that that's what kind of where they're headed is to pick up where the series began and really explain the stuff surrounding Maggie Chan. I would love to see that happen. I do like that all of the reveals feel earned because it is stuff found through detective work or, again, revisiting a certain idea, but in the modern setting. I appreciate that about the show. Yeah. Yeah, That's this is the storytelling method that they've chosen and they've really stuck with it, and I like it a lot. So, you know, we have Sarah who, who tracks down the Swan Man and what? Mrs. S is there. I know, everybody. I think when that happened, everybody's kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> because nobody was expecting that. No. So yeah, uh, uh, it hurts my brain a little. I know, I know. But I I think, I hope, this it further evidence that, that we can trust Mrs. S. I want to trust Mrs. S. I love Mrs. S. But, but, I mean, didn't you have that moment when she opens the door and there's Mrs. S that you're just Holding kind of, a gun. And you're just like, no. Yes. <laughs> For like, a second. Yes. You're like, oh, no, she's with the enemy after all. Especially, well, we'll talk about that later. But especially after a, a re- certain reveal in this episode, I was, you know, really worried that Mrs. S was a bad guy. But she's still not, conf- she's still gray as far as good or bad. But I think still leaning toward... An ally for Sarah. Yes, it seems. And of course, I hope we're not setting up ourselves for heartbreak. Yeah. yeah. Because I think it would break our hearts if Mrs. S turned out to not be a good guy. Yeah. Because there go our plans for Mrs. S International Badass. I know, I know. And that would be awesome. But Mrs. S, you know, we get a lot of information in this epi- in this episode. Like, the first part is all road trip fun and kind of character moments, and it's, uh, you know, just fantastic. But then the later half of the episode, we get a lot of information really quickly. And so Mrs. S reveals that Ethan Duncan had, you know, had left the dyad side and joined her side, whatever that side may be. I guess anti-dyad. And... <laughs> Anti-dyad. <laughs> I don't know why that phrase makes me laugh, but, but apparently it does. It is. But and and so they hid. They hid Ethan Duncan. He changed his name to Peckham. I don't want to call him that. We're gonna call him Ethan Duncan. We could call him Swan Man. 
Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Or Ethan Duncan. It's fine. It's fine. And I was worried there for a second. I mean, I think, you know, he's older. He's not maybe as sharp as he used to be. I was worried for a second there that the character would have just complete Alzheimer's and wouldn't remember anything and just be kind of a dead end for Sarah. But he does seem to be, while maybe a little losing his memory a bit, he does seem to still have his memories intact in regards to what happened. Hopefully. Hopefully he's not just a big lie. Oh, shoot. Why can't I trust anything I see on this show? (laughs) You're such a Debbie Downer about everything. Uh, There's some conversation we were having the other day. You were like, but what if this? I'm like, no, Stephanie, just don't say that. (laughs) I remember what that was. I want to live in denial. I remember what that was. And we're actually going to talk about that idea that I had later. Okay. Uh (laughs) So... Is uh-oh the thing I say to you most often? I think so. I think so. But the the conversation that we see between Ethan and Sarah, I thought was just really fascinating, where it gets to just Sarah pleading with him, kind of like a, a daughter to a, a a parent, in a way. And we really see what we saw in the videos between Rachel and her parents really come out in this man who just seems to really, you know love Rachel and care for Rachel and this was not our plan for her. And, you know, I was so kind of gratified that I finally predicted something kind of right on this show because I had said a few episodes ago that I thought that the the lab explosion was not an accident, that it was planned, that, that Rachel's parents were targeted because they got too fond of her. Mm-hmm. Ha ha! <laughs> I was kind of right. And of course, what's interesting, too, talking about Sarah as the the daughter figure pleading with a parent, again, as far as I think has been indicated, had things gone as planned, Sarah would have been his daughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would have... uh, And now I'm sad again. This whole thing is... It's so... uh, (laughs) I can't even finish my thought. But they had last episode Leaky kind of being more sympathetic, mm-hmm. more of a human figure last episode. So we should have seen this coming. So we should have seen this and coming. And I kind of did. Yeah, I, yeah, me too. <laughs> that we should not trust Leaky, and I don't. Yeah. It's one of those things, they're leading you down a certain path, but they're doing it in a weird way. Last week I'm talking about now. So I am not surprised by this Leaky reveal. Yeah, I'm. I'm not either. Though I, I was, like, hopeful, and I'm still hopeful that he's on the up and up with Kasima, but we'll see. Well, he still needs to prove his theory, because I think that's sort of the driving force, right? Is It's all about taking the science further, and so the scientists all about the problem solving, right? Mm-hmm. So probably want to solve the problem of the clones dying. So I'm hoping there's that, at least. Now, I'm still concerned about Kasima, but I don't think the... The attempt at a cure is a lie. Okay. Hopefully. I think. (laughs) Oh, I did think it was interesting that uh, Ethan Duncan really separated between the idea of dyad and the neolutionists within dyad. Right. I think we talked about that before in our neolutionists Prolethians dyad institute episode because we couldn't narrow it down because we weren't sure, really. It seemed like... The Neolutionists were sort of like the trendy cult spinoff of the Dyad, or at least the representative of the Dyad, or something. And we do get sort of, I feel like, confirmation that they don't overlap exactly, it seems like. There are Neolutionists within Dyad, but maybe Dyad is not a Neolutionist organization. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think we'd sort of speculated was the case, but yeah. We weren't sure. So speaking of things we're not sure about, did you like that segue? Everything. Did you like Everything. that segue? Yes. Okay. Segue. Paul! Uh, uh, we were mad at him last week. And then we felt and sorry then for him. we felt bad for him, and now we're mad at him again. Yeah. Because, man, was he Terminator Paul in this episode. He was. And the, the stalking of Sarah and... Uh, I just... I don't know what to do about that guy. I really, I'm holding out hope. I want to think Paul has a plan. I want to think he's on Sarah's side and he's trying to hatch some sort of thing, but it's not looking good. It's really not. No. And I want this because I think Dylan Bruce seems like a very nice man. 
Dylan Bruce does seem really nice. I yes. like Dylan Bruce. Yes. Uh, Paul, so, I'm not so sure about. Yes. So I want his character to be somebody I can like, but it's not looking good. I feel like he's probably going to turn out to be a bad guy. I get so confused when I see Dylan Bruce in interviews because he's always got a big smile on his face and seems like a sort of a nice, sweet, goofy guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have a moment where I'm kind of like, he looks like Paul. <laughs> it's called acting, Chris. Oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> but we have that with all the characters, right? Yeah. So Paul has this conversation with Mark in the bar about how, oh, you're here for her. I'm here for her. Why don't we just agree to, you know, take our respective women and leave each other alone? And it's this very, like, infuriating men getting together and deciding the fate of women type of moment. But the thing that I appreciate about that moment is that in the background, Helena is beating the crap out of that really irritating guy at the bar. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, she's not going to be okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) But we do see he is able to manipulate her. He he didn't plan to use force. I'm so mad about it. I know. He planned this emotional manipulation, it seems like. It seemed like since Gracie was there. So, but it it was this, to me at least, this kind of microcosm of the larger conflict on the show. Because we have these women, these clones, whose lives have kind of been dictated and determined by... I was going to say planned and then dictated. Right, by, by men. And we really see the institutions, religion and science in this, in this series being controlled by, by men. Don't get me wrong, it, you know, Rachel Duncan's mother was a scientist in the original cloned experiment, but... But the, we find out this episode that she was killed by Bleaky, so... Yeah. And, and in the... But in the context of the show, like, religion as represented by the police, Prolethians, those have mainly been... Those have been men sort of in charge. Same with Dyad, with Dr. Leakey, who's in charge. So it was kind of like this representation of the conflict of the show within a, a small scene, it seemed like. Yes. At least sort of the opposing forces trying to control the clones' lives within a scene. Right. It's like the posts on Tumblr where they have the gifts of the, you know, one or two things from a scene, and then it's captioned, that's it, that's the show. Yeah. I feel like that's going to start popping up soon. <laughs> yeah. That's, this was a big sort of small representation of, of the show. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Words. Words are hard. Well, you summed it up with microcosm. Okay. I just, I used more words as an example for those of you who use Tumblr. Because <laughs> you've seen those, I'm sure. <laughs> but I loved the confrontation between Mrs. S and Paul. I love that she just walked right up to his car because Mrs. S is a badass and she can do this. Yes. Again, Mrs. S, international badass. I'm just going to keep saying it until it happens. Until it happens. <laughs> I apologize, listeners. But how did she know about Afghanistan? I know. I don't think Sarah told her. Maybe she did, but I kind of doubt it. I don't know. I'm I'm curious about that, too. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if Mrs. S... It's one of those... I'm not surprised Mrs. S knows. I feel like Mrs. S has her sources, but I have no clue what the hell those sources are. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Why would I? And now what kind of deal did she strike with Paul? Because she came sashaying back in the house, just hunky-dory. So I was a little concerned for a second, like, is Paul behind her? Yeah. Is she leading Paul back in? But Didn't seem like it. No, she wasn't. Mm-mm. But I had that moment where I was just like, what's going on? Right. So what's this deal? Now can I have higher hopes for Paul? Like, does he have a good ally now that he can sort of... Because she made a point about the fact that when you have warring bosses... She was like, you know, you're a man working for yourself, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you need another ally. So is she recruiting them, him, to her side? So now Paul is really an ally within Dyad? Was he just being Mr. Bad Guy because he had no other choice? Well, I mean, probably. But, (laughs) But, oh my gosh, my head, I think, is just, it's hurting a little bit. As as it would be. It's understandable. But yeah, I had that moment, too. I liked that exchange that they had where... Mrs. S asks him or says something to him and he says that he's working for Dyad now. And and Mrs. S just sort of scoffs at that. She's Dyad's a Hydra. Basically, that doesn't mean anything that you're working for Dyad cuz that could mean any number of things apparently. And of course, the reveal that there are neolutionists within Dyad actually makes that statement make more sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Dyad does not have a singular purpose is what I am assuming from her comment is that there are different people with different agendas within the organizations. Right. And we've seen that too, that I think the first 
No, no, it's the second episode of the season, pardon me. The second episode of the season, Dr. Leakey tells Kasima that all the scientists are compartmentalized. And so that also makes more sense now that none of them know what the others are working on, basically. That, again, how much accountability can there be if nobody knows what they're working on or what the others are working on? The whole thing is very fishy. Oh, yeah. Fishy like Prometheans. <laughs> wow, you're you were just like this is good. I gotta say this. <laughs> I did get weirdly excited about that. It's so dumb. Dumb stuff makes me happy. Not that these are dumb, but let's talk about Felix and Art. Oh, I kind of loved that pairing. Really, I I think I love any pairing with Felix because Felix is awesome. I actually love any pairing that they do on the show because the mm-hmm. show is so good about pairing up all the different characters, which we saw a lot of this episode especially. And it's been so very entertaining because all of the characters on the show are so great that it just lots of rewarding moments from pairing up any of the characters. But yes, Art walking into Felix's loft while Felix is drunk and painting. You can tell Felix was upset because he was wearing pants while painting. (laughs) There was like a a chorus of like, why is he wearing pants (laughs) when we saw him painting at my house? Just to give you a a general idea of what it's like watching Orphan Black at my house. And side note, were those the gay pants? I believe they were. That Allison gave him to wear in Unconscious Selection, where he says, fetch me something gay. If they weren't, they were very similar. Yes. Allison would probably still consider them... Gay pants. Something gay. Yes, Yes, something gay. And I, well, I was happy to see Felix A, first of all, because I was thinking he might be in jail in this episode. Yes, we were worried about him last week. Not that we're not worried about him now, but yes, it is good to see that he's relatively speaking, okay. And I think more okay probably now that Art's there. Yay, Art! <laughs> I was very happy that, that A, Sarah asked him to check on Felix, and B, that he did. And that Art was actually taking care of him. Because mm-hmm. Felix was super drunk. He was super drunk. He needed to go to sleep. Art super was drunk correct. and copping a feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what a lovely matchup between Felix and then Art, who's just like, you know, no... Bullpucky to use a not, <laughs> not naughty word, and you know, kid is just completely unaffected by Felix's nonsense. I kind of love that that mm-hmm. Felix or that uh, Art was just sort of like whatever. He didn't, he wasn't bothered by Felix's Felixness at no, all. He was no, just kind of like stop goofing around and help me with this. Yeah, I appreciate that. I and like I, Art. I I thought I I like Art. T- I like Art too. <laughs> I wasn't implying that you didn't. <laughs> but, you know, just the lovely odd coupleness of the both of them. And I liked Felix's comment about how Art was the best date he'd had in months because he made him coffee the next morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I want I want Colin to come back. <laughs> do you? Please, Colin, come back. I do, too. Kasima and Delphine, shippers, Kofine, science girlfriends, however you prefer to, to refer to them as, finally got their puppy line. This episode. We've all been waiting for it, and here it was. <laughs> because apparently it was in promos. Yes. Yes. But <laughs> it was in promos and featured enough online that Stephanie saw it. Yes. Avoid promos as she tries to. I did see it because there was a lovely gift set that referenced it. And I was thinking, why is Delphine calling Cosima Petitio? Because Delphine is supposed to be the puppy, and then I saw somebody post this, and I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I believe you actually sent me a message like, did this happen already? I don't remember this. You you seemed a little concerned. Well, I just thought my memory was going. That happens at least once a day. Ah, but okay. okay, so for those of you, those two people listening probably who don't know, there's a whole thing on Tumblr, Tumblr, that <laughs> refers to... I, I know, Tumblr is fantastic. That refers to Delphine as an actual puppy. I think it's all having to do with the big eyes that she gives Kasima. Especially in episode nine. In Unconscious Selection, where she's like, don't be mad at me, I, you can trust me. And she kneels down on the floor and puts her arms on the desk and puts her head on her arms on the desk and looks up at Kasima pleadingly. Kasima with the puppy eyes. Yes. 
So, we started a whole, yeah, actual puppy thing. If you don't follow Orphan Black Tumblr, they also have been tagging their posts of either Delphine or Evelyn Brochu. They've been tagging them puppies. So, you know, it's a thing. Yeah, so this was this line was a complete nod to Clone Club, to Orphan Black fandom, and acknowledging Delphine's puppiness. Yes. And they were pretty cute this episode. They had a lot of business to do, but I especially loved when they were, when Scott was like, can I meet a clone? And they're like, <laughs> let's take it one step at a time. Little does he know. Little does he know. But uh, good to see Scott. You had you had wondered if maybe they would bring him on to the project. So yes. we were kind of both right, because I thought Kasima would want him separate, and she does, but... Delphine wanted him there, and so he is. What are you up to, Delphine? I am curious about that also. I've been saying to people, you know, if anybody has been emailing me about Delphine and Kasima, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that their confrontation is going to boil over at some point this season. So I'm I'm trying to get everybody braced, because I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. I mean, they've been keeping secrets all season. It's not going to go well. It's going to come up again. And I think it's probably going to come up this season, the way the season's been going. So everybody mentally brace yourselves, emotionally brace yourselves as best you can. <laughs> if I'm wrong, then we can all be relieved. <laughs> but but I think science girlfriends can get through this. I hope so. Yeah. I, I don't think they won't necessarily. I'm just, again, better prepared <laughs> than than blindsided by the awfulness. But anyway. Because Delphine learns from Scott this episode that the pluripotent stem cell line from Baby Teeth, from which Cosima's treatment is being produced, probably came from the female relative or offspring of one of the clones. Yes, possibly a niece or daughter, he says. And I should have mentioned this last week, I am not surprised that they're going this way with it, because I kind of thought that it would be. Since they we're talking about finding a match. And I'm like, well, who would be a match? You know, Kira. Kira would be a match. And of course, our friend Sally had speculated that Kira was going to be the source of the cure for Kasima. So again, it looks like it's going that way. But it was that line that made me go, oh no, Mrs. S, because then I was thinking... So when Mrs. S was, like, playing Tooth Fairy, she was sending the teeth she was collecting to Dyad, oh. which See, is why... See, I hadn't even thought of that because I hadn't gotten there yet. Be but. But that's why I was so concerned when she was at Ethan Duncan's house. Mm. But if it is DNA from Kira, where... how did they get it? No, I was wondering that, too. And also the fact that Delphine was rather adamant that Scott not tell Cosima. But she seemed very alarmed by no, it. No, no, I, I, I don't think that she had anything to do with I'm collecting not it. Yeah, trying to implicate her. I'm just, no. I'm defending Delphine here. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering what that means. Yeah, because that's not going to be good either. Yeah, and I meant to mention last week, but forgot. Callback. This is a callback to episode 107 because, like, he does tell them in that episode that he's working on a stem cell, a pluripotent stem cell line from baby teeth. Yes. So this was brought up in season one, and now it is becoming crucial in season two. Good job, show. Yes. I expect no less yes. at this point. So, oh, I forgot to mention, and all the kerfuffle about the puppy line. <laughs> kerfuffle. You love it when I use the word kerfuffle. I enjoy the word kerfuffle. When the puppy line occurs, they're doing a follow-up to the intradermal test from last episode for mm -hmm. the treatment. And we got this really interesting message from somebody on Twitter. 4CM. And they said, I don't get why Leaky is using an intramuscular 18-gauge needle to inject Cosima with the subdermal. That's freaking painful, totally unnecessary for the viscosity of the substance he is, in he is injecting, with which makes me wonder if he's injecting her with something other than just the substance. And in parentheses, microchipping, question mark. Also, I don't think Leaky is as good as he's appearing to be against Rachel's foil. So, I know nothing about needles. Me neither. Uh, but this person clearly does. Perhaps they are a, a nurse or a doctor or a scientist. And so that is a good question. That's, this was the thing that made you, made me, made you yell at me and say, <laughs> damn it, why'd you bring that up? Yes, Probably. because I was like, what if, what if 
what if uh, Leaky wasn't injecting her with something good? What if it's something bad? And you got mad at me. <laughs> I'm worried enough, Stephanie. I don't need it. I don't sorry. need more. I'm sorry. So it could be, you know, like us, most TV viewers don't know the difference between needles, wouldn't know that that was an inappropriate needle to use for what he's saying he's doing. It might just look better on TV. Yeah. Because sometimes they do that. Sometimes that's the case. You know, they'll have experts there who'll say, well, actually, you should be using this one. And they're like, yeah, we kind of don't care. Because that one you can't actually see on camera. So it could just be a TV switch where for non-important reasons, but it could be a (laughs) dun-dun-dun. Leaky isn't quite doing what he's saying he's doing, or doing something in addition to what he's saying he's doing. Oh! Oh. The worry. So much worry. This season's very stressful. Yeah. It's delightful, but it's stressful. This is way more stressful than last season, and I think not just because of... Well, you watched last season in two days. I was just about to say, and not just because I'm having to wait. Just the the stuff that they're bringing up for all our clones this season is very... It's... They've raised the stakes. It's more stressful. The issues this season. Speaking of Tumblr, again, I saw a post the other day (laughs) saying... There were no simpler times for Orphan Black. It was always like this. <laughs> <laughs> it was slightly more simple last season. But we slightly. didn't we didn't know that last season True. though, so it was pretty stressful then too. Fair enough, fair enough. And then we had to wait a year. <laughs> Those of us who watched it week to week. So Allison and Vic well, Allison in rehab and Vic in rehab. <laughs> I thought I thought I had seen Michael Mando's credits in the little guest star section at the beginning of the episode, but I thought maybe I just imagined it. But no, Vic pops up. And then Stephanie audibly gasps. I also gasped when when Mrs. S showed up, so it was a two-gasp episode for me. Are we going to start rating episodes and how many times you gasp? I think so. Okay. I think so. Good to know. Watch out for that, listeners. (laughs) And... No surprise, Allison is just sort of going through the motions of this program, doesn't think she has a problem, and is just not not using the program like she really probably should. Mm-hmm. And things are still going poorly with Donnie, and she's not seeing her children, and now Vic is thrown into the mix. And I'm curious... We, okay, of course we see in this episode he's working with Angie. I liked that reveal. That was an excellent reveal. I, I almost tweeted something about, like, that was a really solid twist, because I didn't see it coming. I wasn't even thinking about it, but it makes sense now that... I see it. And when we saw him walking out to the car looking a little shady. We all got super nervous. We all thought he was a monitor recruited by Dyad. And then it was Angie, which makes a lot of sense because we see Angie and Art find him at the end of last season. Yep. And it also makes sense why he would know now that that was Allison, not Sarah. Right. Is Angie probably filled him in. Yep. And... Clearly, he has ulterior motives, but I'm still unclear how much of what we're seeing of Vic and who Vic is now as a person, if that's how much of that is a con and how much of it is genuine. Is he really taking his recovery seriously? Because he makes a comment to Angie about how all this stuff he's doing is really messing up his recovery. Yeah, I'm curious about that, too. Their interactions were kind of gold, though, Mm -hmm. right? I mean... And I uh, and I wouldn't have thought about it, but the, just the fact that they both have are missing a hand essentially right now, <laughs> have a wounded hand slash arm, is kind of a lovely image of the two of them playing yeah. one handed basketball. And the comment that Vic's make, Vic makes later when Allison tries to recruit him to help her make place cards, <laughs> two good hands between us, right? Yeah. And but I got to say, kudos to Allison for getting that ball pretty dar- darn close to the basket with just one hand. Yeah, she did better than Vic did. Yeah. So, but Allison is athletic, so it makes that's would, true. It would make sense that she wouldn't be terrible, even if she didn't have two hands. Yeah. But I think that's her non-dominant hand too, right? Because her right hand's the one in the cast. Hmm. Is it? Is it her right one? I thought so. Hmm. I don't remember now. But I'm like ninety percent certain it is. But in regards to Vic, I feel like maybe they're f- they might be fudging. The writers might be fudging the timeline a little bit here because presumably it's not all that much longer after the finale of season one. And in it, this is a very different Vic that we're seeing 
now versus the the end of season one. Which again brings up the point of, you know, how much of this is an act on Vic's part. So Exactly. Because we did see him at the meeting the last time we saw him, so But he was still very Vic like. That's true. He, he was, had he was not I guess I'm an addict, I, I or whatever. I'm, exactly. <laughs> he was not following the path of the Buddha at the at right. that point. Um so yeah. But <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> because <laughs> Don't say namaste because Allison hates yoga. (laughs) So yes, I do have this question in regards to how Vic managed to come this far in a relatively short amount of time. But maybe it really is genuine. You know, people have transformations. It's possible. Of course. I mean, I think Andy was uh, using his, his record to get him to cooperate, right? So maybe, maybe that's in play too. As motivation. Oh, of course. Of course. Because we had this question, and maybe if there are Canadians listening, there are Canadians listening, because mm-hmm. there's somebody from Canada who emails us regularly. Do we have a sense of whether in Canada, if, if like, Allison would be paying for this out of pocket? Because in the United States, if you have insurance and you need to go to a recovery program, insurance will pay for a certain number of days, but if you have more money, you can go to a nicer facility and things like that. Because I was curious how Vic could afford this fairly nice-looking facility, but maybe that's that's covered in Canada. I'm not sure. And why he and Allison hadn't run into each other prior to this was also a big question that I had. Because Angie had gotten him in there to spy on Allison. But it seemed like the group leader knew him. That's true. When when he joined. They sh- they I'm made making some- stuff up. I know. <laughs> they made some sort of comment about he maybe he'd been away for treat for some kind of treatment regarding his hand. But I don't feel like that would have been all of that all that long, and yet Allison has been here at least several days and hadn't run into him yet. Right. Maybe he's an outpatient. He oh, comes that's in a good for point. For yeah. meetings and stuff. That's a good point. Because I think is. the comment about his hand was why he was late to the meeting, mm, rather okay. than why he hadn't been at the facility. So. Okay, that's a good point. But yeah, I'm curious to see where this where this will go, Allison and Vic. Yes. Again, mismatched pairing, but I'm really enjoying it. Because she tased him. <laughs> and now they're rehab buddies. <laughs> but he's spying on her. Because <laughs> it's this show. Nothing's ever simple. No. So just a couple of stray thoughts, both of them kind of related to Kasima. Why was Kasima still wearing the same clothes at the beginning of this episode as she was at the end of last episode when she got the shot, but Delphine wasn't? See, I'm not sure she was wearing the same clothes. I don't remember. I will take your word for it. Uh, my possible solutions, my, my possible answers to this question, either she had stayed at Dyad to be monitored after the test injection. Or maybe she went to Delphine's place and didn't have a change of clothes. Which then brings up my subsequent question, where is Cosima staying? Maybe that's why she wanted the chill zone in her lab. So she's, she's, you think she might be living at Dyad a little bit? I don't know. I know this is a question that a lot of fans have on, on the okay. internet also. Because it seemed at the beginning of the season she was staying with Felix, which made sense because she'd just gotten into town. But now she's employed... By Dyad. Mm-hmm. So it would, I would think she would need some place to stay, even if it's just a hotel room temporarily. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, or again, maybe she's o- staying with Delphine. <laughs> I was going to make some comment about, like, well, gee, that seems like it would be okay with you. <laughs> I mean, I, no no comment. S- no way you said that. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I mean, every time we've seen her that she's not been at Dyad, she's been at Felix's, so. So yes, I have no answers. I have no answers yeah. for you. Because Felix's is really only a, a short-term thing, since it's just one big room, you know? Right. And I the imagine one that wouldn't, that wouldn't go, go that well for very long. No. <laughs> Given what Felix's profession is, and his habit of painting in the nude, probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had another thought about the baby teeth thing. Yes. Yes. What if, because I was assuming before that the baby teeth were Kira's, but what if they aren't? I know, I've actually, I should add, we are adding this on a couple days later, so I have seen comments you, you spoiled online. The, you spoiled it. It was going to be magic of editing. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, can but edit no. that out? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fine. 
But I have seen comments online, people wondering if they're Kira's teeth or not. Because, of course, it's leading you to assume that it is, which means it's probably not. But what if it is? I don't know. I can't tell anymore with this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if they are Kira's teeth, how would they have gotten them? And especially since they seemed surprised about Sarah Manning's existence, or at least Leaky did, mm-hmm. when when she was brought up, then how would they have known about Kira? I, I mean, I guess we are meant to believe that Mrs. S was funneling the baby teeth to Dyad, but I still want to believe in Mrs. S that she isn't a bad guy. I don't know if it makes sense that she would be. You know what I mean? It does. Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense to me either. Yeah, because she seems pretty intent on nobody knowing about that sort of thing. And and it, granted, she had the exchange with Paul, which indicates she knows about Afghanistan, which means that she probably has some sort of informant in Dyad. But still, I don't think she'd want the information to go both ways. Mm-hmm. You know? But I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah. And... But but if the baby teeth aren't Kira's, that brings up, okay, maybe there was an original, and the baby teeth are from the offspring or the niece of the original, or does it mean that another clone had a child? But then there's Rachel's line about, you know, see, I want you, Kasima, to see why Sarah is different from us, and Kasima replies, you mean, the only, she's the only one of us who can have a child. So... It's just a lot of crazy information that I can't wrap, wrap my head around. And then there's the other line from the end of the first season. And I can't remember if you're the one who brought this up or if I saw this online somewhere. But Rachel says to Sarah something about, you know, you're very lucky, Sarah. Motherhood is wonderful. And she says it in such a way that we're not quite sure what she means mm-hmm. or how she means it. Because she sounds kind of wistful. Yes, that was exactly the word I was thinking of using. And so, like, what does that mean? Is it that she's sort of sad that she doesn't have a child? Or does it mean that she did have a child? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, does it mean she had a child and maybe the child didn't survive? Or did she have a child and she was convinced to turn the child over to Dyad for research purposes? What does it mean, Show? What does it mean? It does make sense, though, if that's what happened, that Dyad essentially took the child from her because we know that they would do that because they did that with her yeah and that would obviously be a source of baby teeth for them (sighs) just saying that made me sad i know and very upset actually So we wanted to say thank you to the people who sent us feedback. We got several emails as well as a couple of voice messages. And speaking of of Mrs. S, we got another email from Davia. Davia, you didn't tell us how to say your name. Tell us how to say your name again. I'm sorry. And she is very much convinced by this episode that Mrs. S is not to be trusted, especially after the mention of uh, when Scott mentions a daughter or niece. All she could think of was Kira and therefore, in her mind, Mrs. S is Not on the side of the angels, as she puts it. Possible. Anything is always possible, but I, for the moment, am choosing to believe in Mrs. S. Yeah. International badass. (laughs) And I feel like Davia was trying to get on my good side because the end of her email mentions, ladies, with Scott on board, could Raj be far behind? And I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I miss Raj. There you have it, listeners. If you want to get on Stephanie's good side... Talk nice about Raj. <laughs> and or Colin. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. And so we also got a message from Joanna. In one episode, we go from extreme happiness over Sarah and Helena being the most adorable sister duo, then put Helena in a bar where she gets to have a boyfriend in a bar fight, and wrap it up by knocking us over the head with the thought of her going back to that farm. No! And yes, that is how Joanna wrote no. This show, only on this show, it's amazing how all that is able to work so well together within one episode. And yeah, it is. And and that's where Orphan Black really, Orphan Black lives in that kind of mindset, I feel like. Where they can take you from just comedy and happiness to emotional distraughtness in, in the span of 43, 44 minutes. 
Pretty much. So thank you for that, Joanna, who is at Pizza with Joe on on the Twitter, I would assume. I I assume so too. Chris is much smarter than me and could figure out how to say that username, so way to go, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's wit without an H, so Yeah. We also got an email from Kimberly from The Nerd Element, which is a video podcast, I believe. And Kimberly sent us a, a nice email talking about the emotional content of this particular episode. And, you know, we discussed, we discussed it particularly the re- relationship to dynamics we get to see between Sarah and Kasima. And she mentions Sarah and Helena a lot. There's so many Helena feels in this episode from a lot of people, it seems like. <laughs> Not least of all us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But but Kimberly said, Sarah also addressed how when she gets back, she wants to get Allison out of rehab. And it's really the first time Sarah has been like, these are my girls. We need to be together. And I liked that a lot. I also liked how they finally showed Felix dealing with all the crap that has been thrown at him. That scene between Paul and him was terrifying. And Felix has had to deal with a lot of crap. And in this episode, you see him handle it as most people would with the bottle. So, yes, I agree. It was nice to see Felix some of that kind of come down on Felix and him trying to grapple with that. And it was fantastic that they sent art in there to be part of that process. I did enjoy that. And of course, it kind of harkens back to last week where Felix made the comment that you realize I'm going to have to paint this to come to terms with it. Exactly. Exactly. And we also got some great voicemail messages from Dawson and Bob. And so here those are. Hey friends, it's Dawson, um, finally leaving a message after ages of not doing it. So this episode had about 10 million things I would love to talk about. Um, everything from Kasima being strong in her illness to um, becoming really hopeful that the clones will get back together at the end part of the season, which seems like it's really coming. I think it was really beautifully foreshadowed with the we're stronger together statement. Um, so hopefully we're seeing that reunion in coming down the way, but um, there was all kinds of great orphan black complexity, everything with, you know, bodies and ownership and families and children and who are we really, and Sarah's declarations of the realness of the clones um, with Swan Man trying to get him to understand the reality of their existence, that they're not an abstract concept anymore, that there are consequences to science and to life and to all the decisions we make and all that was really beautiful and wonderful. And I could talk for hours and hours and hours about it, but instead I'm going to talk about Sarah Manning leaving people behind. Cause I've heard a lot of upset about Sarah leaving Helena behind. And, uh, I just wanted to point out, this is a hallmark Sarah trait. And I don't think it comes from being careless or being evil in any way or being malicious. So it comes from Sarah being the hard driver in any relationship she's in. She is a doer and probably has been most of her life. I'm sure she spent a lot of her life running. We get all of this information early on in season one, actually, this impression of who she is. And um, one of the realities about Sarah is she has no concept of her own ability to be anything but a survivor and anything but the person who gets the job done. She believes she can protect her family and protect these people, but to do that she sacrifices her relationship with them. She doesn't believe she's a good mother. She doesn't believe she's a good sister to Felix. Um, and probably no one could convince her of that, but she knows what she can do is keep them safe and help them to help Felix, to help Kira, to help Kasima. She will do what she has to do. And that includes leaving behind her loved ones when necessary. So while sad, I think it's a really characteristic trait of Sarah and it's, it's good to see it being played with in this way, even as she develops it's not like that goes away and that uh, just manifests in new ways. So that's kind of neat to see. So it was a great episode, great show, as always. Um, all good things. So that's what I have to say about the episode. Thanks, everybody. Hi, this is Bob DeGrand with feedback for To Hound Nature in Her Wanderings. Helena is absolutely amazing in this episode. From going on her first road trip to singing loudly off-key to farting in a tent, to beating up a greasy trucker, to exactly what you would expect from a date with Helena. Drinking, pork rinds, arm wrestling her date, to violence. To being able to once again resist killing Gracie on sight. She is clearly the star of this episode. 
I also love some of the combinations in this episode. Art working with Felix taking over his apartment, Mrs. S. and Ethan Duncan, Mrs. S. offering tea to Paul, Allison and Vic playing one-handed basketball, and Allison telling Vic not to say namaste, and Vic and Angela. So Leaky killed Rachel's mother and Mrs. S. knows about this, as well as seemingly knowing about everything else? How does Rachel not know about this, and why hasn't she taken revenge? Or is it not true? Can't wait for the next episode. And thanks for those, Dawson and Bob. Thank you to everybody who's been sending us your feedback and your reactions to the episodes. We always love getting to hear other people's thoughts about what's going on on this crazy little show. You can send us that feedback in a lot of ways. We really would love it if you would send us a voice message, which you can do by going to TatianaIsEveryone.com and clicking on the Send Voicemail tab over on the right side of the page. We would love to include your reactions to the episodes in our episodes. But you can also email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com, or you can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 34. We're also on Twitter at TIE Podcast. And this week, the intramuscular 18-gauge needle was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening.